Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla, and we are kicking off the new year today with a conversation about a new book, a book on Beeson's founding dean, Dr. Timothy George, written by a former student and Beeson alumnus. We are glad to have you with us. Two brief announcements before we dive in. First, Sanford's trustees have now approved Beeson's new PhD in theology for the church. We believe that the clergy ought to be the most influential biblical and theological leaders of God's people, so we've designed the only Ph.D. program we know of to equip them for just this ministry. Our goal is to underwrite ecclesial theology, that is, theology done in, with, and for the Church of Christ to the greater glory of God on the part of its pastors and denominational leaders. Our own Dr. Ginolet will run this program, and several of us on the faculty will supervise its students. If you'd like to learn more, go to BeesonDivinity.com news. You'll find an article with details about this new program and a link at the bottom to an interest form for those who want to stay in touch with us about it. Second, our spring semester begins soon on January 19. Please keep our faculty and students in your prayers. And please join us for our opening convocation on January 24th when Dr. Jonathan Linebaugh our new Anglican Chair of Divinity, will preach to our community. If you'd like to stay abreast of all that's happening here, head on over to BeesonDivinity.com events and sign up to receive our bi-weekly digital newsletter called Happenings under the News and Media tab on our website. All right, Kristen, would you please tell us a little bit about today's special guest? Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. We have on the show with us today uh, one of our Beeson alums, Chris Hanna. Chris is Professor of Theological Studies at Highlands College, which is right here in Birmingham, Alabama, and he also serves as a pastor at the Church of the Highlands. He is married, uh, he and his wife have a son, and so we're just thrilled that you're on the show with us today, Chris. Welcome. Yeah, excited to be here. I count you and Dr. Sweeney as great ministry partners and friends, so excited to be a part of the conversation. Thanks, Chris. Well, you were on our show almost a year ago on January 25th with a couple of your friends and colleagues, actually Beeson graduates, uh, talking about the work that you all are doing at Highlands College. And so listeners, I uh, recommend that you go back to that episode 585 and listen to uh, Chris introduce himself and his journey to Christian faith on that episode. But on this particular episode, we want to talk to you about your new book, which is called Retrieval for the Sake of Renewal, Timothy George as a Historical Theologian. This was published recently uh, by Wiffenstock. And so as a way of an introduction for today's show, I'm curious to know what made you interested in Timothy George? And um, when did your interest in writing this book begin? Yeah, thanks so much. I want to answer it in two ways. First, kind of the biblical foundation for doing a book like this and the criteria for that, and then it's just kind of some personal specifics. So first, the biblical foundation. 
when, when I think about that question, why would I want to write a book about Timothy George? I think about Hebrews 13.7. So Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So as a Beeson student and then as a graduate, um, I came to believe that Timothy George was a leader worth remembering, uh, that he had a message worth sharing, that he had a way of life worth considering, and he had a faith worth imitating. So I think that's really the biblical foundation and criteria for for remembering a leader uh, with a book like this, like Timothy George, um, and Retrieval for the Sake of Renewal. But this January marks 10 years ago that I started my MDiv studies at Beeson Divinity School. I was already working in ministry full-time, but Beeson was the, the one school that I wanted to attend to receive the real ministry training that I needed to do full-time ministry. And so uh, I was the only school I wanted to attend and the only seminary I applied to. So I was uh, fully committed to, to coming here and studying here. And then while I was a student here is when I got to know and be under Dr. George's teaching and, and, and administrative leadership. And then it was in January of 2015 that Dr. George and I were in a conversation and I asked, I wanted to know more about how he did historical theology and what it meant. I was in the middle of a history and doctrine sequence as a student here and I was trying to understand what was happening. I loved what was happening. Uh, but it was, and I enjoyed it, but I did I wanted to really put my arms around it. And he pointed me to a lecture that he'd given at Southern Seminary called Dogma Beyond Anathema, Historical Theology and Service of the Church. And he sent me that, um, he found that article for me and, and sent me the PDF, which I really appreciated. And that conversation and reading that lecture was really the beginning of my interest in studying his work as a historical theologian. I think when I, when I, as a student here as well, I just saw this is a leader who has humility. This is a leader who has theological wisdom. This is a leader who is genuinely kind to students and colleagues. This is a leader who, when he talks, you can understand what he's saying, even though he has two degrees from, from Harvard University. And this is a leader who has real pastoral warmth. So that's why I wanted to study Timothy George. Mm-hmm. Dr. Hanna, lots of our listeners know a little bit about Dr. Timothy George. But not many of them know a lot about him, as much as you know about him by now. So would you give us um, just a brief summary of Dr. George's life and let us know, was there anything as you wrote this book about him that even a guy like you who'd been a student of his and known him for some time, learned that was new, maybe surprised you? Yeah, I think a great way to think about it, kind of a brief sketch of his life, and I encourage your listeners I go way more in detail um, in my book about this, but I'll give kind of a a real brief sketch here, is to look at his life in the journey of four cities. The first city is Chattanooga, Tennessee. Dr. George is born there. This is his birthday month, January. So January 9th, 1950, he's born at Erlanger Hospital. And sadly, when you look at his life story, this is what one of the things that surprised me most was how difficult his upbringing was. Oftentimes, Dr. George talks about that he grew up in what we call now a dysfunctional family. That's an understatement. And so when you look at you know, the beginning of his life, David Dockery describes Dr. George as a desperately poor kid from Chattanooga. Uh, there's an area between Main Street and 23rd Street in inner city Chattanooga that was called Hell's Half Acre. And this is the area of town where he grew up. He was raised by parents who were not able to take care of him. His mother had a debilitating disease, had polio. His father uh, was an abusive alcoholic and died in prison when he was 12. 
And so Dr. George is, Timothy George at that time, is raised by two great aunts who couldn't read or write. Uh, they did take him to the public library and encourage him in all sorts of things. And they did take him, um, his Aunt Mary, to a Baptist church. And this is where he becomes a Christian, and this is where his spiritual life is cultivated in what he calls a country church in the city. Um, it, this is a key part, and one thing that really surprised me is Dr. George's family and extended family are majority Mormon. And the, the only male presence in his life is his Uncle Willie, who's what Dr. George describes as a dyed-in-the-wool Mormon. And so Dr. George talks about how he learned to be a theologian by arguing and talking about Mormonism and biblical historic Christianity uh, with the Mormon missionaries and his Uncle Willie. He says, my family couldn't read or write, but they could think and talk and argue. And so he learned to be a theologian through that. And so it's in Chattanooga that he gets his love for history, that he gets his calling. Uh, it's in August of 1961 that he really receives a calling to preach. So he's 11 years old at the time. No one told him he had to go to divinity school to, to be a preacher. He just started preaching. And um, he becomes a youth evangelist. By the time he's in college in Chattanooga studying history, he is uh, leading a church full-time as their pastor. Uh, he meets Denise Wise at a church that he's preaching at, at in Flintstone and outside of Chattanooga there, gets married at a young age. And so, yeah, it's in Chattanooga that he becomes a Christian, receives his calling, gets married. And then he gets some advice about where to go to school next. And that leads him to the second city, which is Cambridge, Massachusetts, or, or Boston. So after he's received his education at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, in history, he goes to Harvard because he's, he's heard about this professor named George Hunston Williams, who's written this great book called The Radical Reformation. And oftentimes today, we, in church history, we talk about the radical reformers. Well, George Hunston Williams coined that phrase. Uh, he, he's the one that, that really... Uh, first expressed it that way. And it's at Harvard that he, he goes there not to become a professor, but because he's a pastor and he wants to receive the best training he can get. And so he goes to Boston. He goes to Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, they feel really, you know, one thing that, was, that surprised me was during that time, his apartment gets broken into, his car gets stolen, and he experienced some real difficulty also while he was there as a student. Uh, but he's leading He's preaching, he's pastoring. First, he wants to study New Testament, but he realizes he can't just jump, just kind of leap over church history back to the New Testament, that there's an important 16th century, there's an important reformation that's really key in the, in the development of the church that we shouldn't leap over to some kind of pure primitive experience in the first century. And so it's through that that he decides to really jump into the, new, the Reformation as a scholar. So he, st he stays in Boston for seven years. He does, his, he does a Master of Divinity there, and he does his um, Doctor of Theology. Um, and that's, that's really where his love for church history and his love for doctrine um, is developed through a certain lens. You know, he's got two professors there. One professor is a guy named Harvey Cox. Harvey Cox, you might think that him and Dr. George would get along because they both have similar denominational background. They both have experience as a youth evangelist. But Harvey Cox believes that the only two centuries that you should study are the first century and your current century. 
that looking through church history to find valuable information, he calls this ransacking the past. He believes it's really a pointless endeavor. So that's one professor that this young Timothy George has. And there's another professor he has, which I've mentioned already, is George Hudson Williams. And George Williams has a completely different view of the centuries of the church and how valuable they are to the theological enterprise. And so instead of going the way of Harvey Cox, who was, a, who was an influential professor, maybe the most popular professor at Harvard when Dr. George was a student there, he goes the way of George Hunston Williams. And that's just a pivotal intersection in his life as a student and the, the real trajectory of his future studies and future leadership. So he, he starts in Chattanooga, he finds his way to Boston. Before he graduates from Harvard Divinity School, Southern Seminary calls, and they want him to come teach church history and theology. And so they, even before he graduates, he's able to um, get a faculty teaching job at Southern Seminary. He goes there, he spends about 10 years there, and this is really where he learns to teach. He learns to love students. Um, he really, he could have been buried there. He loved Southern Seminary so much. Uh, but he learns to love teaching and he learns how to teach. And he had wonderful students. He was there at a pivotal time in the Southern Baptist denominational's history uh, during what's called the, con the controversy or the, the conservative resurgence. And it's while he's at Southern Seminary that he writes Theology of the Reformers and other important works that he begins to contribute to and kind of establishing himself as a Reformation scholar. It's in 1988 or in the, in the mid-80s that he gets a call from Tom Quartz saying, hey, we have a, a really generous benefactor, Mr. Beeson, who wants to start a divinity school. And we believe that you're the person for the job. So he didn't apply to be the, the dean of Beeson Divinity School. At the time, it was just called Samford Divinity School for the first six months. Uh, but he comes to Birmingham, that's this, really the fourth city, and he begins this great work that we now know as Beeson Divinity School. So that's kind of a brief sketch of his life through those four cities. If I remember correctly, I remember you telling me that when you approached Dr. George about initially doing a dissertation on him, that he resisted and then conceded as long as you studied those people in his life who had a major influence on him if I remember correctly, and I know that this book really does that. It looks at those uh, influencers, and you've mentioned a couple of people already, so I wonder if you can talk about that. First, am I remembering correctly? And yeah, then, right. And then secondly, who were these people, and how did they influence Dr. George? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, Dr. George calls it, he gave me a ministry of discouragement uh, <laughs> when I came to tell him I wanted to write a book about him. Um, and my response in that moment to him was he said, you know, write about Aquinas, write about Augustine, write about Wesley, write about Luther. Don't, don't waste your time writing about me. And I said, Dr. George, your perspective as a historical theologian is the wardrobe that students can walk through to get to Narnia where they discover Augustine and Aquinas and Luther and Wesley and others. And he said, well, that's really beautiful sa beautifully said, kind of extravagant, uh, prob uh, but I'd appreciate it. And so he, he is, in a sense, a, a window into these things. But the people that formed him are, are three key figures. The first key figure is George Hudson Williams, um, the Harvard Divinity professor. And he really contributes really three things to Dr. George. This idea of church history as a theological discipline. Church history is not just chronicling. It's not just names and dates and dead people and details. No, there's a theological value to doing church history where there is 
not just um, a discernment about what happened, but there's a commitment and there's a confessional element to it where it adds value to our faith. So that's church history as a theological discipline. Second is ecumenism. So really, George Sunstein Williams opened up Dr. George's eyes to the broader and wider church. Williams was a, a Protestant observer at, at Vatican II at all, at all four sessions of Vatican II and um, was a close um, supporter of um, Pope John Paul II. And so there's the interest in ecumenism that, that really comes from Williams. And then there's social action. Uh, Williams is a, even in the early 1970s, late 1960s, a Harvard Divinity professor is a staunch pro-life advocate. And so as a church historian speaking to the concerns of the present moment, Williams did that as a part of his vocation as a church historian, not in spite of it. And so cultural engagement, and we see things, you know, that Dr. George has done like that with the Manhattan Declaration. I see Dr. George's involvement in the Manhattan Declaration, which stood for life and family and, and religious freedom, as a real um, legacy to the work of Williams. The second key figure is David Steinmetz. Now, David Steinmetz was a visiting professor at Harvard while Dr. George was there as a student. And Steinmetz is, is really in the school of Heiko Obermann. And it's really interesting, Steinmetz was Dr. George's favorite classroom teacher. But what's fascinating about courses is that Heiko Obermann taught Calvin and the Reformed tradition, which David Steinmetz was in. And then, at, and then in that same school, David Steinmetz taught Calvin and the Reformed tradition to Timothy George, that same course. And at Beeson Divinity School, if you want to check the media center, there is Calvin and the Reformed tradition taught by Timothy George. And so there's a clear linkage to people like David Steinmetz and Heike Obermann and, and others. But really what Steinmetz gives us is Reformation studies and the hist history of biblical interpretation and really understanding these key figures in the Reformation through their biblical interpretation and uh, through comparing biblical exegesis. You know, sometimes we call it, uh, he says, the, the superiority of pre-critical exegesis is what Steinmetz says. And then the history of biblical interpretation that you're not the first person to read the Bible. And so the people of God before us, when we value their insights into the biblical text, we're benefiting from them because the Holy Spirit, through the work of illumination, is helping the church understand the text better. And then when we listen to the whole church as we read the Bible, uh, we begin to understand the text better. Right? And so the, the history of biblical interpretation and Reformation studies, Steinmetz gets that, uh, George gets that from Steinmetz, and the whole uh, Reformation commentary series is in really uh, in legacy to someone like David Steinmetz, and, and I think that's clear. Um, he, he was a guest at Beeson Divinity School, the first Reformation, I think the first Reformation um, heritage series uh, David Steinmetz uh, lectured at, I think, in the early 90s. And so he, he's been here at, at Beeson Divinity School. The third key player is Yersoff Pelican. And um, when Dr. George was in his early 20s, he committed, I want to read everything this person's ever written. He says, I wish that I could write like Yersoff Pelican. And so we, we see Christian doctrine, that Christian doctrine is what the church has believed and confessed and taught on the basis of the Word of God. And this, these major works in historical theology. And so really, Yersoff Pelkin is the, the exemplar of historical theology for Dr. George. And so those are the, th the three key figures, and I go into much greater detail about that mm -hmm. in the book. 
Chris, you rightly focused this book on Dr. George's passions as a historical theologian. But it's probably true to say that in the church at large, he's even better known for his ecumenism. And I wonder, for the uninitiated, if you could tell us a little bit about his ecumenism. What kind of ecumenist was he? Why did ecumenism become such a big part of his life and ministry? So a, a really key phrase when we think about Dr. George as an ecumenist, the, the, the rally cry, the drum that he beats, is that we should seek to be an ecumenism of conviction, not an ecumenism of accommodation, right? An ecumenism of conviction, not an ecumenism of accommodation. So he believes that we should have real convictions and that we should stand within our traditions and speak to and from our traditions to other traditions. Kind of an interdenominational cooperation or inter interdenominational engagement. And that's what he's done in things like Evangelicals and Catholics Together, ECT. That's what he's done in starting a place like Beeson Divinity School. Uh, Beeson Divinity School is an ecumenical experiment where professors can really have a clear convictional denominational identity and at the same time interact and engage with and learn from and work with professors from other denominations. And so Beeson is really an, an ecumenical experiment um, that is not about accommodation but is about conviction and about a, a deeper identity that we share as the body of Christ, the large kind of sea church. C.S. Lewis would talk about it as the hallway, right? We're, we're all traveling through this hallway, but we also have these rooms in our different denominational traditions. And so, yeah, I think those would be some, some clear ways that Dr. George has been a part of that. Um, he, is, he, is a, he speaks as a Christian who is a Protestant Baptist and an evangelical. And all of those markers are important to him. Um, and he doesn't compromise his Protestant or Baptist or evangelical traits when he's speaking as a Christian to other Christians who are from a different denomination than him. In one chapter of your book, you describe um, George's view of the importance of historical study as critical coordinates. So what are those critical coordinates and how can they help us think about and understand historical theology as, as we want to perhaps emulate Dr. George and the way that he approaches uh, church history. Yeah, this is a really fascinating, uh, really clear and practical way that Dr. George talks about the value of studying history is through these two critical coordinates. Any sense of history grows out of the fact that we perceive ourselves in the world around us through finitude, and we are finite beings in two respects, space and time. And so Dr. George was born in Chattanooga in 1950, and he would be a different person if he would was born in Chattanooga in 1850, or if he was born in London in 1950. You know, time and space shapes to a large extent who we are and who we become, critical coordinates of time and space. And so they shape what we call our perspective. And the perspective that you have is the world that you live in. And what church history does is it allows us to enlarge our perspective. It allows us to learn from other Christians and other times and other places. And by doing that, we gain a whole new perspective on who we are and on what God has done uh, through learning from people from different times and places through those critical coordinates. So if we don't learn from church history, we're really limiting our perspective. But if we eagerly and, and with anticipation learn from church history, we can really widen our perspective. And, and if we know who we are, then 
as Christians from church history, then we'll have a real identity in the present to fulfill the mission that God has given us. Dr. Hannah, Timothy George is an exceptionally creedal Baptist theologian. And that's a sentence that's worth letting sink in for a minute. You know, there are some Baptist theologians who champion slogans like, no creed but the Bible. But Dr. George is not among them. Uh, he's, he's a very creedal guy, and he's trying to talk students into letting the creed shape their understanding of Scripture and the Christian life as well. And one interesting feature of your book is that you use the four marks of the church from the Nicene Creed to kind of summarize Timothy's approach to theology. Give our, our reader, our listeners, a, a little feel uh, about that. How does he do that, and why is that so significant for him? Well, yeah, when we think about the Nicene Creed, you know, we have these four traits of the church. The church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is apostolic. And as I began to look at Dr. George and all the different influencers and contributions, I realized that these four marks encapsulate really all that he's done in this area, which is kind of an amazing statement. So look at the, the oneness of the church, and we see that Dr. George has always championed the unity of the church. He's not a historical theologian of Baptist Protestants in the 17th century or 18th century. He's a historical theologian for the church throughout time and space. And so the, the unity of the church, the oneness of the church. Uh, secondly, we see the holiness of the church. The reason that we retrieve is because we want to be renewed. That there is spiritual insights and biblical insights from the church tradition for us today. That, that we can, once we know who we are, we'll know what to do. And if we, if we lose church history, then we'll lose our identity. But if we regain church history, then we've regained our identity in the present so that we can fulfill the mission that God has given us. And that, and that brings renewal, and that's what the holiness is about. Then we have the Catholicity, and the Catholicity is really about the whole tradition, right? It's about the Orthodox Church teaching. And we see that Dr. George you know, gets that from the creeds and from Yaroslav Pelikan's emphasis on Christian doctrine of what the church has believed and confessed and taught. And so we see the Catholicity of the church. And then the apostolicity isn't an apostolicity of succession. It's an apostolicity of what is the content of the apostolic teaching, which is the New Testament, right? And so on the basis of Scripture, and that's where there's a huge emphasis on biblical interpretation and the history of biblical exegesis. And so in that sense, Dr. George's traits are, the, as a historical theologian, are the traits of the church. Uh, it's oneness, it's holiness, it's Catholicity, and it's apostolicity. Hmm. Uh, well, I have two questions. I know we're almost out of time. And before I ask, I just want to encourage you, our listener, to go to Amazon and find Chris's book and uh, purchase it. I think it's truly special to have a Beeson alum write the first book of this kind that I know of about our founding dean, Timothy George. And I can just attest as someone who has worked with Dr. George that everything that you've said is uh, spot on as to who this person is. But two questions. One, I wonder if you can describe and, and tell the story of the book cover to our listeners and why you chose it. And then two, what do you hope or what is your prayer um, for this book as it relates to your readers? What do you hope that those who read your book will take away um, about Dr. George, um, and what is your prayer for it? Yeah, thanks so much, Kristen. One of the reasons that this book cover photo struck me as I tried to find the right image that would 
be the cover for the book is the use of light in the window. I think that church history um, brings so much light into the kind of current darkness that we're facing. And I, I love the window. This book is meant to, and I think this is Dr. George's work as a whole, is not meant to help us to look to George, but rather through him. Uh, the book helps us look with him at what he's learned from the great tradition, what he's learned from, from church history and, the, and the, the, the riches of church history that he's discovered. Uh, this book helps us as a window see into that. Um, and he is like a window into the value of church history. And so the, the window and the light pouring in on him at work as a historical theologian in the photo, and that the book invites as an invitation to the reader to join him in discovering the riches of church history and how valuable that is for Christian spirituality in the present and Christian mission in the present. So that's what struck me when I saw the picture was Dr. George at work inviting us to come look, look around his shoulder and see what he's discovering um, in the riches and treasures of church history for the church today. Um, I love this picture because it was first used in, a, in the 2019 Beeson Magazine ed edition for all the saints, for all the saints, which was a tribute to Dr. George. And Christian, you know, you're the editor of that magazine, and this picture was used um, in an article that you wrote mm -hmm. about Dr. George in, in a tribute to him. And so it was, it was wonderful to be able to use an image um, that was from Beeson. And I just want to thank you and the and Stanford University for allowing permission to be to to use it in the book because I think it captures so much of who he is and I think it has that symbolic meaning for me as well. And so thanks for for doing that. When when it comes to what I hope readers will get, or what's my prayer for this book, uh, number one, I hope readers discover the theological value of church history. Uh, church history. Uh, Dr. George sometimes has has joked or or not or been said, so, said seriously, that it's the most important uh, course in the theological curriculum because it gives perspective to all the other courses. And uh, so there's so much theological value in church history, and it's, just, it's more than names and dates and details. There, there's something really meaty and substantial here for us. So that's the first thing, the theological value of church history. The second thing, I hope that when readers um, see Dr. George's example in this book, that they'll develop better relationships with Christians outside of their denomination. Uh, Dr. George is learning from Williams, who's a Unitarian. He's learning from Steinmetz, who's a Methodist. And he's learning from Pelican, who's a Lutheran, and then later Eastern Orthodox Christian. And so I hope that readers will learn how to develop better relationships with Christians outside their denomination. And the third, I hope that readers will use the resources of church history uh, for biblical insights and spiritual renewal. And Dr. George really models how to do that. Uh, in this book, uh, because church history is it's a resource, it's a tool. Um, I think readers can stay uh, rooted in their local churches while learning from and appreciating Christians from the wider church. And there's just so much ministry application from the resources of church history that we're not tapping into that are possible uh, when we see church history as a tool. So that's what I, that's what I really hope that readers gain from it. Uh, most of all, I hope that they, I mean, what's, what's amazing is what God has done in the life of this desperately poor kid from Chattanooga who his dad died in prison when he was 12, that God can take a life like that 
and then use that life for his glory, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Chris, you know, because you've been on the show before, that we like to conclude our podcast interviews by asking our guests what the Lord is teaching them these days. We like to end on the note of edification for those who are listening. And so we want to ask you, what's the Lord doing in your life these days? What's he teaching you right now? One thing the Lord's teaching me right now, I've been meditating on uh, verse 3 in the book of Jude that reads, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, someone who's a great inspiration to me, uh, Gavin Ortland, uh, recently pointed this uh, verse out and, and about the emotional tones. We're eager to write about our common salvation. So there's an emotional eagerness about the common salvation that we have. That's really the ecumenical uh, foundation of Dr. George, that conviction that we have in our common salvation. But it's sometimes necessary to write about and contend for the faith. And so we're eager about our common salvation, but we contend necessarily for the faith once delivered. Mm. A good word and a wonderful book to which uh, we're hoping you're going to pay due attention in the days ahead. You've been listening to Chris Hanna. He's professor of theological studies at Highlands College. He also serves as a pastor at the Church of the Highlands here in Birmingham, Alabama. We're proud to say he's an alumnus of Beeson Divinity School, and we're really grateful to you, Chris, for being with us today. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We're praying for you. Please pray for us. We say goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Mm-hmm.